Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Our mini-series focuses on people who recklessly transmit HIV. But we need some balance here because we don't want people to be fearful of those living with the virus. There are approximately 37 million HIV positive people in the world and we featured less than 20. We don't want anyone to be under the illusion that recklessly or intentionally transmitting HIV is commonplace. It's not. HIV medication stops people living with the virus from passing it on to others. We call this being undetectable. And it's one of the reasons that HIV rates are falling and why it's so rare for people to be prosecuted. But when people do appear in court, the media attention often causes fear and stigma. So our series is about setting the record straight. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Yay! So much easier than us trying to remember what the name is. Loving it. Still loving the new name. Excellent. Good, good, good. Have you got any shout outs this week? I do have a shout out. It's actually from our boss. <gasps> oh no. Does it start with letters, numbers P45? <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's That's not. How he's titled it. Definitely not. No, he just got in touch to say he's really loving the crime series. Very nice. Excellent. Our jobs are safe for another week, Jess. Yay, go us. Well, you better make this a good one then, Sarah. Clearly he's listening, you know. (laughs) We should point out, you know, our jobs aren't under threat. Sean is the nicest boss in the whole world. But he's also extremely um, professional. He's been on our podcast, actually, hasn't he? We did an episode with Sean and he was very articulate, very professional. Probably our most professional episode. I think that probably was our most professional episode. I don't know. Some of the ones in the beginning were very professional. We were very serious. I feel like we could have been like news presenters, like shuffling our papers. You know, I feel like now we're in our comfort zone, just the nonsense zone. Yeah, it's all gone to part. I don't think it's gone to part. I think it's coming together and you just can't see it. (laughs) Okay, you ready? Yeah, what are we doing? Still crime, last one, right? I'm a bit sad about this, I'm not going to lie. I know, it's the last episode of our mini series looking at criminal prosecutions for reckless or intransigent 
intentional transmission of HIV. Already I can't get my words out and we've literally been recording for two minutes. Do you know what that signals though? It also signals the end of the summer because it was our summer season, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, you're right. Yes, it is the end of summer. Oh, autumn. I'll be able to sing my favourite song. I won't sing it here. Everyone's seen it. It's on on Instagram. It's on TikTok. That'll be a treat for everyone when we start recording in the autumn. Yeah, they might not have realised that. So Sarah was actually singing in that um, short clip I put up about us doing the new intro. She was singing um, the Mamas and the Papas California Dreaming. So if anyone wasn't aware, because all she got to were, oh, the leaves are brown. I mean, everyone would have been able to tell. You don't need to tell them what the song was. It's fairly obvious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Instantly recognisable. I feel I might be uh, put forward for Eurovision next year. I'm going to put you forward for Eurovision. Why not? I think I could carry off a performance like that. Do you reckon? Yeah, just give me a microphone. We know. Instantly want to be centre stage. But yeah, no, great way to promote HIV awareness. I will wear a robe of red ribbons. Like Jason and the Technicolor, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh my God, God. we've had this before. To an earlier episode, I really am. You wanted some sort of cloak and a doctorate. Jesus, let's just move on. Okay, well, look, this week we're looking at prosecutions around the world. So criminal law around the world is different. As we know, some countries like Scotland, if you're positive and you have unprotected sex with someone without disclosing your status, you can be prosecuted even if you don't pass the virus on. And in other countries, there aren't specific laws around HIV's transmission, but people can be charged under existing laws for murder, manslaughter, attempted murder, assault or fraud. Oh, wow. So HIV can go under fraud? Yes, yes, because you've misled someone. I was more worried about murder, but we can go with fraud if you want. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised by murder because I think in some countries, if they're not going to have specific elements put into their laws around HIV, then that's what they're just going to go with, isn't it? The most obvious one, even though how... Wait, hang on. How can it be murder unless the person's died? What? This is what makes me laugh. I list a whole load of different um, reasons people could be prosecuted. And out of all of them, fraud is the the least, one of the least serious, isn't it? It's like murder, manslaughter, attempted murder, assault or fraud. Wait, fraud? No, surely not. Well, surely not murder either, but we'll go with fraud, love. I know my mind, but I think my my brain wasn't working fast enough, Sarah, because I'm realising that you couldn't do someone for murder, surely, unless they you could prove that they had... If they're dead, how do you prove any of the things that we've talked about proving? Yes. Well, we have got a case that we will look at that they were charged with murder, actually. Yes. What? But was the Mm. victim alive? No, not by the time it went to court. No. Okay. (laughs) Do you know I'm just going to let you get on with it. I don't know why I do this every week. (laughs) Say something and then I go, what I'll do is just ask you every question about it. And just ruin the whole thing. Okay, so non-disclosure of HIV in some countries can include accidental transmission and unknowing transmission, where the person passed on the virus without knowing they had it themselves, as well as exposure to HIV with no transmission. Wait, what? So it can be a crime even if you didn't know in some countries? Yeah, but I should say, I don't know which countries prosecute those who unknowingly pass on HIV. That sentence came from Wikipedia and they didn't state a source. But I think... I mean, it's going to be really rare, isn't it? How harsh and unfair would it be if you got prosecuted and you didn't even know yourself you had HIV? But some countries do have harsh laws, so it's very feasible. I don't know why I'm shocked, because a lot of countries have really harsh laws around an awful lot of things that I don't think they should have harsh laws around. So I don't know why I wasn't braced harder for when this episode began. But I mean, I guess I'm strapped in. Let's go. 
Okay. Well, there are laws in some countries that criminalise mother-to-baby transmission during pregnancy, birth or breastfeeding. And countries with strict laws include Singapore and Nigeria. Look at your face. Because <laughs> I, I I can't believe they would prosecute mother-to-baby or breastfeeding. For some people, if your baby has no food and you don't have money for food and you need to feed it, like, what are people supposed to do? I know. Oh, my God. There you go. That sets the scene. Can you guess which was the first country in the world to establish laws around HIV transmission? Who do you reckon? I reckon it's America. Very good. Was it? Yes, it, yes it, of course it was. In 1987, 27 states have criminalisation laws that carry a lengthy sentence. So each state can set its own laws, which is why not all of them have this. And the person to be prosecuted in America first for intentionally infecting someone with HIV was someone called Thomas Gera. And that was in March 2015. Oh, that's a long time after 1987, isn't it? Mm. But it could be there have been other cases before or lesser charges or cases that were unsuccessful. But this is the one that kind of made the headlines. So he was reported to the police by his former partner who contracted HIV from him. Following a media campaign, other men came forward saying that Gera had lied to them about being negative for HIV. The prosecution had 11,000 text messages and videos. Quite the evidence, isn't it? And these messages and videos show Gera laughing about lying to sexual partners about his HIV status. They include text to his friend boasting about infecting other people. So it's very similar, actually, to Daryl Rowe, isn't it? Where yeah. he, quite clearly, this is intentional. Had the case been prosecuted as a felony, he could have got eight years. But for some reason, the judge declined to do so. And the case was treated as misdemeanor, which is less serious. So in the UK, or the UK court system, you'll be aware of this from your uh, recurring shoplifting episodes or silly misunderstandings, as you like to call them. Can I just clear this up? She, she keeps just making all this rubbish up about me. And then I'm like, what on earth is going on? Can I just say I've never shoplifted? Just like to point that out, Sarah tarnishing my reputation. I I know about the law because I did an all A level. <laughs> because I always, when I make mistakes, I'm like, edit it, edit it. And then I'll listen to the final finish first and I'll be, hold on a moment. You've left it all in. This is the only way I can get back at you. <laughs> so harsh. But for the benefit of your mum, Bernice, who we know listens every week, just didn't get done for shoplifting. Do you know? I'm very honest with her, very open. She'd know. Well, she would because it would all be over the press, wouldn't it? Local paper. <laughs> anyway, look, in, in the UK, cases are tried in the Crown Court if they're serious and the magistrate's court if they're less serious. The Crown Court have greater sentencing powers. So if you're ever in court and you're told your case can only be heard in the Crown Court, magistrates don't have sentencing powers to fit the crime. You're probably not looking at a fine. And it's a similar system in America where the judge's power of sentencing are determined by whether it's a felony charge or a misdemeanor. Is that what that is? I've always known that felonies are more serious and they carry much more weighty conditions and things. Mm. I think they have an effect on jobs and things like that, don't they? But I never really understood how that all worked. But now you've done it in terms of the courts, I understand. Now, I can't find any clarity as to why the judge thought this was a misdemeanour. Possibly it could be because there were no previous cases. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they said this was misdemeanor. At the sentencing hearing, Gira told the judge he had no remorse for his actions. He blamed his victims, saying they were reckless because he'd met them on Grinder. Are you being serious? I am being serious. This is so weighted towards what? Towards the um, perpetrator. 
just doesn't feel like it's supporting the victims. Definitely not. And the judge gave him a sentence of six months in jail, the maximum she could have given for this charge. But she said she would have liked to give a much harsher sentence had the law allowed her to do so. I I don't understand. Do we know what the crime was? Because it couldn't have been murder. Was it GBH or... Because if they don't have the specifics, like the specific laws that Um, we have... Yeah, so it's a different law over there, mm. um, but it's around the same thing, recklessly or tran- or intentionally transmitting HIV, um, but it might be called something different. But yeah, she only she could only have given him six months maximum, so oh, it's awful, isn't it? Absolutely. Even though All that evidence they had. And that he stood there saying, I don't have any remorse. I'm fixing yeah. blaming. Yeah, and there's I nothing anyone so can do. feel for his victims because, I mean, as if, as if all of that's not bad enough and you you know then you're like right okay so this person has you know passed HIV onto me they didn't tell me they were positive so you know they didn't have a choice in it they've got the case to court you're like yes this is moving forward and then he stands up and says I have no remorse and it's all your fault because you're on grinder yeah terrible and then he just gets six so months there you go that's America for you over the border in Canada they had similar grapples with the law around um, reckless and intentional transmission like we did in the UK. And they even used our case law at one point. Do you remember the case of uh, Clarence and his syphilis in episode two? Yes. He was found not guilty of giving his wife syphilis, even though he knew he had it, just forgot to tell her. They they kind of used that as a basis initially. Thankfully, they then moved on from that. So there are two cases to mention here. Firstly, Clato Mab. Nabia, here we go with the pronunciation, which relates to serostatus non-disclosure, right? Serostatus in this case relates to how many HIV antibodies were detected in Clato's blood samples. So he was diagnosed in 2004, started taking meds, but continued to have unprotected sex with multiple partners whilst doing so. Did sometimes use condoms and HIV wasn't passed on to any of his partners. He was convicted of six counts of aggravated sexual assault. Okay, now lots and lots of legal arguments about this one. But he didn't pass it on? No. And the arguments are around the realistic possibility of transmission. So at what point when you're taking medication would the medication start to work and you couldn't pass the virus on? Oh, I can see what they're saying, but I just still feel like it's a very odd, how do you prosecute it? I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about that whole prosecuting somebody for saying, but this could have happened. That's like me saying, well, I could have, I don't know, run you over, Sarah, but I missed and I didn't. So, you know, surely that's not the same thing as me. I don't know. I suppose assault is the threat, right? But then if these people didn't know... But he is taking his medication. That's the thing that I think kind of sticks out for me here. He's been diagnosed. He's taken his medication. He has unprotected sex. Possibly he's under the belief that because he's taking medication, he can't pass it on. He's not understanding that it would take a while for the medication to kick in. So it's a bit harsh, isn't it? It, I I do feel like that's really harsh. I mean, the case, it did go to appeal and the appeal was upheld in part. So I think it was reduced to four counts of aggravated sexual assault rather than six. He was originally sentenced to 14 years. That was reduced on appeal, but still got a hefty prison sentence. And he was taking his meds. So he was taking steps to uh, mitigate risk. Granted, they're saying he wasn't undetectable. I get that. And perhaps you're saying you should take that responsibility to understand when you would be undetectable or not if you're going to move forward and have unprotected sex with people. But 14 years and nobody had contracted. Mm. No, 
He did sometimes use condom and HIV wasn't passed on to any of his partners. Wait, he, he also used a condom sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. This is blowing my mind a bit. Well, I feel that Canada looked at the case of uh, Clarence and syphilis, used it as a basis and then went so far in the other direction. Yeah, took it a little bit too far, if I'm honest. Who would think that Canada would be that strict? I honestly thought you were going to tell me how, because, you know, Canada has a reputation for being, you know, very, I suppose, very laid back, quite liberal. So I felt like they'd really be on board with some really great laws, but I'm actually super shocked but then do you know what which way around you want it because like we just looked at america which i cannot believe that person got six months and then we look at canada and this absolute madness isn't it yeah okay i mean there's another case in canada johnson aziga he was diagnosed in 1996 he was married at the time he used protection with his wife she knew about his diagnosis but he began having sex with others without protection before getting a divorce from his wife he confessed to having sex with between 50 and 100 sexual partners many of whom went on to have unprotected sex with other people he was charged with two counts of murder and 11 counts of aggravated sexual assault. The murder charges are because two of the women he infected died of complications from AIDS. He was sentenced, I love the look on your face, sentenced to life imprisonment after trial in May 2008 with no possibility of parole for 25 years. That's the mandatory sentence in Canada for a conviction of first degree murder. Obviously, he expressed his intention to appeal his conviction. That, again is a very serious charge, isn't it? And rightly so, too. Those women died. Yeah. Look, I, I understand that. It's, it is. It, shall I tell you what I'm more feeling from all of these different laws? And even ours, to a certain extent, although I know we haven't really looked into all the ins and outs of uh, American or Canadian laws, I feel like it's all on just a bit of a wing and a prayer. Everyone's just like, we'll just decide it's this. I'm sure it's not. But it's feeling slightly like that of just, you know, we're going to be really harsh. We're going to be super lenient. We'll just do whatever we sort of think. It's like, guys, should we get together and put some rules in place like we've done? You know, I like that. I, you know, now I understand the law here much more. But my goodness. I know. I mean, in 2011... A court in Hamilton in Ontario granted a request by Crown prosecutors to have Johnson jailed indefinitely under the Dangerous Offender Act because it was believed he would be at high risk of reoffending if he was released. I mean, he's considered Canada's most dangerous sexual predator. Wow. So he, he'll never be released now. So when we were saying about, you know, last week's case, when we said when he's released from jail, how do we know that he won't go on to kind of reoffend? In this case, never going to happen. They'll never get out. No. They are harsh laws, aren't they? They are, but, you know, he he confessed. He said he'd had sex between 50 and 100 people. And then you think they've gone on then to have sex with other people. So, you know, he's he's the cause of HIV. And you look at, yeah, when that, you almost do that um, diagram of how it goes out and just balloons off when you start going. And then they had sex with X amount of people. And then those X amount of people had sex with another X amount of people. And it just. So I can see why they've taken it so seriously. We are going to Finland. Not in real life. You can't come within 200 metres of me. We've discussed this before. Don't you edit that out. I think that's just more by choice. I think it's more by choice. (laughs) Entirely understandable. I really like Finland. So I'm really hoping you're going to tell me they've got some, like, it's a fair law. Okay, well, let's see what you think. So we're looking at someone called Stephen Thomas the first person prosecuted for HIV infection. He doesn't sound Finnish, and that's because he's not. He's American. In 1997, he was convicted of knowingly infecting Finnish women with HIV over a three-year period, following a media campaign 
to track down women who'd slept with him. 17 came forward to say they'd had unprotected sex with him. He was given 14 years in prison for 17 counts of manslaughter. Five of the 17 women had been infected. And he was also ordered to pay the infected women damages. Not heard that with other cases. Yeah. His sentence was widely criticised. So under Finnish law, the maximum sentence for multiple counts of manslaughter is 12 years. He'd been given 14. So his sentence was reviewed and it was reduced to 11 years and six months. That meant he would have been released in 2008, 2009. But he was actually quietly released in 2002 and deported to an unknown location. Surely back to America. If you de- don't, you have to. If you deport someone, send them back to their country of origin. Is that not true? Oh, it's taken it very, very seriously, aren't they? Fourteen years—that's more than any of the UK people we featured got. But this is what I'm saying. Don't you feel that there's a certain element where part of this—and again, this is just my opinion—feels a bit like it's the stigma around HIV. Why, why, why is it up there with this maximum sentence? And I feel it's because HIV is so stigmatised, perhaps. That's mm. how it's starting to feel anyway, of like, hang on, these seem, you know, of course, I'm not saying we shouldn't have laws. Of course there should be. But yeah, some of them seem like this one. It's, why is it? Why would it be so high? Is it to do with the stigma? I don't know. I mean, it could be cases like this are rare. We've said this all the way through, haven't we? So there's no benchmark for um, judges to kind of attach this to so maybe they they don't want to be seen to be too lenient or um maybe they just don't know kind of what to do with it maybe they hope this acts as a deterrent they want don't want more cases like this coming through that could be it um but they're harsh sentences but then if i was a woman who'd been infected by this man i probably would think that's not long enough you're quite right you know you can't account for how the victims would feel about that no now the next one Oh, you might remember this, actually. This was in 2010 in Germany. Um, her name was Nadja Benesa. She was from a German pop group, No Angels. This was all over the press. I remember this. So she admitted to having sex with several men without revealing to them her HIV status. She infected one of them and that person brought the case against her. Do you remember this? No. Oh, excellent. Let's move on then. No, no. Oh, no, maybe I did. Go on, carry on. Okay, well, she faced prison for this, but instead was given probation, uh, two years probation and community service. Women groups were outraged at the possibility of a woman being charged for negligently spreading HIV. And she said herself, there was no intent for her to infect anyone. She was really like, she apologised profusely. She said, when I was arrested, I realised the way that I dealt with the illness had been wrong. I made a big mistake. No way did I want my partner to become infected. She said she concealed the infection to avoid hurting the success of her band. And she claimed she'd been told by doctors the risk of passing on the virus was practically zero. There were much lesser sentence for her. Granted, it was only one person she passed it on to. Two years probation and community service. I do know her because I think we listened to a podcast with Sophie Hagen on it that featured mm. her. I think it was called Bad People. Not, yes. that she, not that I'm saying she's a, the person is a bad person, but I swear this is your right. I do know this case. They featured her and looked into it as well. Oh, well, people should go and listen. It's actually quite interesting, isn't it? I find it interesting that women's groups were outraged about this because, and the fact that a woman should be charged. But of course, a woman can be charged in the same way as a man can. Well, exactly. You know. You're not disclosing your status. That applies equally, no matter what your gender. Do we know why they were so outraged? Like what, what their 
No, it doesn't say. And maybe this is something we come back to at a later date because it's a very interesting case. And it was really high profile at the time. It was all over the certainly the German press and it was featured around the world. There you go. Right. Another this one, again, a very famous case. So we've talked, obviously, about HIV prosecution, but we've also kind of talked about how sometimes it can be done for the wrong reasons. And this next case illustrates this perfectly. So it was a very famous case and it took place in Libya. Six foreign medical workers were charged with conspiring to deliberately infect over 400 children with HIV in 1998 at a children's hospital in Benghazi. They were arrested in 1999. One was a Palestinian medical intern and the others were Bulgarian nurses. Now, there's a book called Notes from Hell. I know you love all things dark. This is right up your street. And there have been other books written about this as well. But this book details how they were tortured to get a confession. And as a result, three nurses signed confessions and were sentenced to death. I remember this as well being in the press. This was huge at the time. So how are they saying they infected them? Was with it like needles? Yeah, we'll come to that. So the nurses signed confessions, there were appeals, and possibly actually because of worldwide media interest, their sentence were later reduced to life in prison. Even so, that's a lot. They were all released after the EU intervened. And in 2007, they were extradited to Bulgaria. Their sentences were overturned by the Bulgarian president and they were freed. Libya, obviously not happy about this. um, And the situation is still said to be ongoing. And there have also been concerns about how the EU managed to agree the terms of their release from Libya. So it's been alleged that an arms deal was part of the agreement. And this is why it featured so heavily kind of in the press. But my thoughts are exactly like you. What caused 400 children to contract HIV? 56 of them have died. Now, Some of the world's leading HIV experts wrote to the courts and the Libyan government, blaming the epidemic on poor hygiene practices in the hospital. And one of the experts was Luc Montagnier, part of the French team that identified HIV. That shows the calibre of expert that was involved in this. But that's what it hinges on. It wasn't down to these poor nursing staff at all. It was because they didn't have the correct hygiene procedures in place in the hospital to ensure that children weren't or HIV wasn't transmitted to children. And they they were made a scapegoat, basically, for this. Because obviously, Libyan government want to cover this up or give a reason. They don't want anyone questioning their hygiene practices in their hospitals. But that's what it was down to. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? Really heartbreaking and awful, awful for the people involved to have to go through all of that but it's been widely written about there are lots of books about it well worth reading about because shocking oh i am gonna read it but that what was it called again give it to us again the name it was called notes from hell notes from hell oh my god i mean that's savage imagine how your life can be destroyed when you're just there trying to help i know you know you're doing a good thing you're working in another country you're helping in a children's hospital and this happens i mean that is every course everyone's nightmare isn't it absolutely actually maybe not everyone's nightmare probably lots of people don't have a wish to work in a children's hospital in libya but if you did you just wouldn't be able to imagine that this sort of thing could occur yeah and that or you'd, that you'd be blamed for something hmm. yeah for something that that isn't down to you Jeez. Yeah, that is harsh. But like you're saying, you know, they don't want to acknowledge that it's their own hygiene practices. They want 
people always seem to want a physical person to go, this is your fault. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But they were cleared. So thank goodness for that. Yeah. But I mean, last yeah, place. That's good. But also, you know, just the torture and the jailing was, geez, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, you're trying to put a positive spin on it. But no, you're right. <laughs> They went through an awful, awful time. Lastly, New Zealand. They had their first case of criminal HIV transmission in 1993. Peter Mawai was originally from Kenya and was visiting New Zealand as a tourist. And he was sentenced to seven years in prison for infecting two women through unprotected sex. One of the women had reported him to the police, having tested multiple... Oh, hold on, that doesn't make sense. After one of the women had reported him to the police, having tested positive... Multiple women came forward claiming he hadn't told them he was positive prior to having sex with them. And was it unprotected sex? Yeah. Yeah. So he hadn't used a condom and it had broken or anything? No. So he's just gone over there as a tourist, had a bit of, you know, holiday sex and and infected people and then ended up in prison. Probably not the uh, holiday he was looking for. Jeez. They also, they had a similar case to us. Um, so the, our case of Daryl Rowe. So in 2009, an Auckland man was thought to have infected five young gay men and it led to sex venues shutting their doors to what they classed as an HIV predator. So the man was arrested and similar to the UK, more cases then came to lie and he was charged with six counts of causing or attempted to cause GBH to five men and one woman and two counts of willfully and without justification causing a disease, namely HIV, and a 20-year-old male and a 19-year-old female. Gosh, that's quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. So he's six counts of causing or attempting to cause GBH, and then he's actually infected one man and one woman from that. Anyway, it didn't go to trial uh, because the defendant, who was named as Glenn Mills, was found dead in his prison cell. Oh. <laughs> what else can you say? I know. Well, you sort of think, did, I don't know. Do we know how he died? that a bit morbid to us i think probably hung himself yeah i think it was it was suicide because he knew how it is this was a very high profile case lots and lots of media coverage and i think he was never he was looking at a very hefty sentence wow i think i would be if i was a victim i think i'd be quite angry if someone died before the trial oh so would i i'd want the closure I'd want the, you know, the day in court to the motive, what happened, why, all of that, so that you can have that closure yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. No, you wouldn't want them to take their own own life because that feels like they've then not made that decision for you, but they've kind of taken control of the, of the situation, haven't they? And, and I agree. Kind of picked the outcome. Yeah, they've hijacked the narrative. They made the choice when they wanted to, you know, infect you and they've now made that this other choice that actually no you're not gonna have your day in court i'm gonna choose what we do here they have sort of hijacked that whole thing i know now there are some countries we haven't covered that are very intolerant of hiv and you would expect it to be kind of widely prosecuted for those that are suspected of transmitting the virus but there's very little information for some countries which i think probably speaks volumes so I do think, you know, the cases we featured, they've been justified with the exception of the Libyan case. But there are probably many cases around the world where people aren't treated fairly, face unfair and unjust trials simply because they have HIV. And I think that probably greatly outweigh the number of fair cases and we'll never know that they happen. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's like you're saying, I'd love to concentrate on some of these places that have very are very intolerant, very harsh laws, but I feel we wouldn't really be finding that much information. No, 
you definitely can't. I mean, there are some countries that you instantly think, hmm, how they manage HIV. And you can't find any information on the internet about them at all. So it's a closely guarded secret. But then I think if we even did try to feature them, maybe we'd end up in prison. We'd be targeted. Oh, God, yeah. No, let's steer clear. Steer clear of those, Sarah. No, thank you. But I think it's definitely worth pointing out that there are some countries that we haven't featured that haven't got anything about HIV transmission, HIV prosecution, and it does happen. People are prosecuted. We never get to hear about it. But that brings our mini-series to an end. It's been all right, hasn't it? I've I've absolutely loved it. Listen to my sincerity. Oh, (laughs) Honestly, I have. Thank you so much. Really loved it. So we're going back to our normal heroes, history, events, jazz as of next week. Is that what's going to happen? Yes, we are. Actually, do you know next week we're going to go back to basics because it was pointed out to me the other day. And I can't remember if you were there or not because, well, you're always there, aren't you? (laughs) Loitering in the shadows, watching you. (laughs) Two metres behind me. Well, 200 metres it should be, but, you know, we'll forget those two zeros just there. Um, But it was pointed out that we have never actually looked at what HIV is. We've not looked at what being undetectable means. And we really should. I mean, I don't know how many episodes we've done now, but we've been doing this for a whole year. Really should just touch on that, shouldn't we? Just to educate everyone about HIV. So better late than never. That's what we'll be doing next week. (laughs) Well, no, I think I think that's a great idea because... You're very good at the sciencey stuff. I will bring science glasses, so I'll be prepared. Um, yes. Maybe you wear a white coat or something, so you can look. I wear my dressing gown. We'll pretend my dressing gown is my lab coat, and away we go. Oh, I feel like then we'll be descending into some sort of madness where you just look like you're off to bed, and I'm just got <laughs> my look like brains from the what are they called the Thunderbirds. <laughs> I think that's a great shout. There's so much information on the internet, isn't there? And we've discussed this. There is so much that actually sometimes it's hard just to unpick it all and put it together. So Sarah is going to take us on a journey through HIV science simplistically. Very, very simplistically. That sounds good There'll to me. No sciencey jargon. No, we don't cope with science jargon very well. So we will do it in the way that we've come to understand it ourselves. Yeah, perfect. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Right. Sounds like a plan to me. I will see you here to learn about what HIV is, which that sounds bonkers, seeing as I have worked in the industry for 14 years. But I will see, and you for 20, but I will see you back here to learn what HIV (laughs) is next week. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos.